Good morning, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, MindMinder Talks. And my name is Jen. Today is the first episode, and I'd like to quickly share my little bit of my backstory about how I ended up doing what I'm doing right now, um, sharing things about life, <clears throat> about health, a little bit of philosophy, and um, things concerning the human mind and human experience in general. So I was um, a millennial. I mean, I am a millennial. Um, grown up in, in a time where the transition where there was no internet to where there was internet. And uh, so very much I enjoyed the benefits that it brought um, com- connection to <clears throat> people from across the world and also being part of the tribe of the early adopters of internet where we enjoyed the the live chats and the media and torrents and all the games and the media that were available that were shared openly by different people all around the world just for the sake of sharing and creating things Um, so i graduated out of Um, university and I went into the workforce um, at the age of 24 so then I was in I was in a research um, field dealing with solar cells and semiconductors and it was it was um, a somewhat stressful time for me because um, being a millennial I was full of optimism in life and everything that is being done is to to bring me one step closer to an ideal vision or an, an, an idea of what life should be, that it should be continuous progress. If you're smart today, tomorrow you'll be smarter. Um, if you are where you are today, academically or in a career, tomorrow you want to climb. There is always this... Um, optimism towards this progress in life until one day when I was um, sitting down playing one of my favorite games at the time called Dota, Dota 2, Defense of the Ancients. Um, I was I was an avid gamer since 15 years old and I played, uh, thanks to internet, I played uh, the online games Starcraft, Warcraft and all those other multiplayer games. So, on one night, around midnight, after a game of Dota 2, I felt a little bit of pain around my collarbone on left and right. So I just instinctively tried to tap on it. And the next thing I knew, it was like I was um, not conscious for a few seconds. Next thing I knew, I started gasping for air as if I took... Uh, as if as if I had stopped breathing for a while, and suddenly out of out of a reflex, my body forced me to breathe. So that was a scary experience because when that happened, my hands started f- freezing, becoming freezing cold, and a wave of chill ran through my chest. My heart started to beat faster and faster, like it was just going to accelerate beyond control. And at the same time, my diaphragm was in spasm. It was locked in position and wouldn't move, so I couldn't breathe. And I was starting to lose consciousness. So I ran, ran over to my, with whatever strength I had, I ran over to my, my girlfriend's room next door and asked her for, for a prayer because I didn't know what to do. So on the outside, I asked her to help me to pray and sort of caress my chest, to calm me down, um, and, 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 and I was just forcing myself to breathe because otherwise I was going to lose consciousness. And there was also a tingling sensation around my left chest, which I thought was pretty close to my heart. So I was doing all these things, but inside I was actually feeling that um, this could be an impending heart attack or it could be an actual heart attack. And I was in a terrible dangerous situation even so on the outside I was in survival mode 
on the inside, I was, I was confused. I didn't even have time to think, but I, I only remember myself saying it, willing myself to, to survive through that ordeal, to live on for my wife. And for the whole night, I did not dare fall asleep because I was afraid if I fell asleep, I wouldn't wake up the next day. Meaning I did not have any more confidence in my own body that it would breathe, that it would function um, automatically. That once I, I, I took away the control, then things would stop. So that was back then. It was it's already four years ago. That's in February 2014. That started that was my first encounter with with death, so to speak. And um, holding on to this fear and, and wanting to survive, I just kept literally meditating on my breath uh, for three months continuously. Every second that I, I was awake, I would just focus on my breath. Otherwise, I would start to feel the same kind of symptoms, a sudden wave of chill would come and that would put me into an alert mode that I had to start taking care, focusing on my breath because as long as I did that, the symptoms were under control. So doing this for a month or so while, in, while abroad, uh, when my, my parents came to know about it, what my father did, he flew down to where I was living at that time in Singapore and he decided to take me home right away on that day itself. So, but before, before that, with, with all these symptoms, I went to see first the physician. The first one told me, oh, there was something wrong with uh, your lungs. It's almost like you got bronchitis. Another physician said that there's nothing wrong with you. I think there's something wrong with your brain and he recommended me a psychiatrist. Another physician, when I, when I went in the middle of the night because I couldn't really breathe anymore, as I was telling him I couldn't really breathe, he was there um, slowly asking for my identity card number, etc. He gave me a plastic bag to breathe in and asked me to lie down on a bed. Um, and there was nothing much they could do really. I was on my own and they felt that nothing's wrong with me but inside I was just trying to get myself in order so that it doesn't go out of control. So I felt like I was on my own. Um, so then beyond the, the, the regular physician, we decided to go to Malaysia um, to go to uh, a specialist and at that time I felt that there was something wrong with my my brain because I could feel some sensations some pressure and pain uh, that moves about at the back of my head so I, 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 I knew something was wrong over there and we went to a, a brain specialist um, and I remember the specialist saying when I asked for an MRI the specialist was giving me um, a funny look and then he said I will do this only one time, okay? That's what he said. So agreed, we proceeded. And the scan, uh, it, I went through a, 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 a terrifying scan. You put inside the machine and further they inject, halfway through they inject some liquid into, the, into my veins to increase the contrast for the brain. And the results came out and the doctor said, you're fine. But I could see myself very clearly in the mirror. Uh, how pale I looked compared to before. But it was strange that other people could not see it because they did not have a reference to who I was prior to that. To them, I arrived at this state and this state looked normal to them. But to me, internally, I knew something was very wrong. And even externally, I could see the difference. I couldn't, um, I couldn't enjoy, I couldn't function. So I, I couldn't be happy, I couldn't enjoy, I couldn't be excited. Uh, I was just trying to stay, um, trying to be who I used to be. And then after that, that's where my, my father came down and took me back home. I visited 
a cardiologist. The cardiologist put me on a stress test and I knew I was only able to perform less than 50%. It reached about level 2 or 3 out of 5. Where in the past, I was a sportsman, I was an athlete and I was a sprinter. And, and this time during the stress test, I couldn't really push myself. But to the doctor, again, um, I met a certain requirement and I was told that I had passed and I was fine. My heart tests were fine, although I kept feeling a twitch somewhere around the left chest, but the, the results were, were, were okay. And I remember the cardiologist telling my father that he's fine, but I think he cannot accept failure. So it was quite strange, but it's also quite confusing to me because I'm feeling these physiological symptoms and the pain and the confusion. And the first thing that I really need is answers, not someone telling me something far away, like unable to accept failure. How does it even relate to to my heart feeling cold, a wave of chill and losing consciousness. Surely just failure alone can't arrive at that, right? So next thing he recommended was to a psychiatrist. So it's the third time I've been referred to a psychiatrist and this time we went and I sat down and spoke to the psychiatrist about my, my symptoms and the whole story. And she said that she diagnosed me with panic disorder and also, I also I was fine with it, and I also remember asking her um, because of the sensations at my head. I felt that logically something was wrong, so I asked her, "Is it because I have a chemical imbalance?" Now I I didn't know much about psychi psychiatry, and I I didn't know about the treatment model, but it just felt something wrong in my head, and anything that can go wrong in my head because it's in, in it's internal, it must be an imbalance chemically. So I asked the logical question, is it a chemical imbalance? And she said, yes, eyes was somewhat sparkling. And she referred me to the chart behind her. Yes, it's about it's a chemical imbalance. Um, basically, your lack of neurotransmitters. And she prescribed me a box of fluvoxamine, uh, which I think were meant to increase the, the neurotransmitters. So I, that was the start when I, I took some form of medicine treatment and basically rested at home following the, the dosage. Um, my mom was also quite concerned. She brought me to a naturopathy clinic and suggested, and the doctor tested. And, and, and interestingly enough, the doctor used something called an acu, an acu check. Was it an acu check? Um, something to do with meridians. And they basically point at different parts of my body and then they scan and they got a chart. So without telling the doctor anything at all, when she looked at the chart, the first thing she asked me, oh dear, what has happened to you? And that was when I knew um, that there was truth in what these devices, these, these methods could see that the specialists and the physicians could not. So she prescribed me, she said I needed to do a detox, I needed to do a liver flush and a gall flush immediately, and I needed to fast. So I took that protocol back home. My mom was preparing it for me daily. I remember taking a mix of olive oil, lemon, and cayenne pepper, first thing in the morning with hot water. And then I remember taking apples and green apples and green apples and green apples with magnesium sulfate and uh, with olive oil for the flush, for the gall, gall flush. Um, so three days in taking my medication, I, I remember there was a, one of those timings I missed. And when I went to the box um, to cons consider whether I should pick up my, my, my missed medication, a voice inside me said that this was a sign that you should stop taking it. Very strange because this, the voice was firm and clear. And I chose to take the leap of faith because after taking these, um, the, um, the detox um, con uh, at the same time as my medication, um, with that experience with the naturopathic doctor, I had some um, 
doubts about what the specialists could observe from their point of view. So I, so I had faith and I stopped to see what would happen. And in fact, I remember the voice, it wasn't a clear voice, but rather a thought came that the more I take these medicines, the more it would, it would dumb down my experience of whatever I was experiencing back then. And I would rather face the truth. I would rather, I wanted the truth. I wanted to know what's going on rather than to take something to ease away the discomfort. Because I am naturally a problem solver. So without taking the meds, the next day, nothing happened. The following day, nothing happened. And until today, nothing happened at all. But what was strange was when I, when I went to the doctor uh, for, the, for a review one week after starting my medication, I told her by the third day, I stopped taking it. And also I told her an interesting um, experience just two days before meeting her where it was intense. I was lying down on my bed and there were terrifying images, not thoughts anymore, real vivid images flashing back at me. Um, these were not uh, conjured um, from somewhere. These were real things that I have seen. I was exposed to accidentally horrific um, images and uh, revolving the theme of death. And it was so vivid and it was so scary. I was on my bed and I couldn't I couldn't stop it. It just came. And each time it came, it stirred up fear in me. So can you imagine every second with my eyes closed or open, I'm being bombarded by I'm being bombarded by these images that made me fearful to the point that I realized that I had no control over my mind. I, I always thought that whatever I thought whatever I said was from me, was, was what I thought, what, what I was capable of. But there I saw myself willing myself, using the same will to control my breath, willing myself not to see those images, yet it has no effect. Stop showing me, stop it, stop it. Whatever I did had no impact on it, on what my mind wanted me to see. And then I knew that at that point in time, I realized that whatever I thought I was, my idea of myself and my mind and my thoughts were not mine. That perhaps all the thoughts I had, the mind was just showing me, but I thought it, it belonged to me that I was the one that was creating, had the ability to create these thoughts. But no, I see that at that point in time, whatever that came from my mouth or came into my mind, it was given by my mind. Except this time it's showing me unpleasant stuff. So I, I was at that, at that time, the only way I felt that I could get out of this suffering or this torment was to escape, right? Because there is no way for me to escape. Yet escape is the only way to get out. And what is the way to get out of my mind when it's bombarding me all the time? What's the way to make it stop? That was to shut off my mind. And then the next thing I saw myself looking out the window. And before allowing a certain idea or thought to come, I immediately alerted myself on a dangerous situation. And I remember saying, don't go there. I mean, don't go there mentally. Don't go there. Because that I knew that was the point where people where you hear in the news, people fall from buildings because they heard a voice telling them to do so. I knew I was that in that situation. So I turned myself, hide my, hid myself under the blanket and just focused on not trying to think of the escape. While enduring the, the torment and the pain, for the first time I really surrendered um, and asked for help from above in the most submissive way. When you're on your deathbed and you only wanted to get through it. So I asked for help. 
and in an instant, um, I saw, I remember feeling the image of um, a person with bright white garb that is radiating uh, light. And there wasn't a very clear face to it, but then along with it came a word. Whether it was from my own mind or it was from above, the word was conscience. And that was, that was like a magic word to me. Whenever I, I muttered the word conscience, all those horrific thoughts stopped as if it was a magical defense. If I stopped reciting this word, the feelings of discomfort and the fear and the images would, be, would start to come in, slowly sip in. But when I, when I recite it mentally, it would just cut off and shield myself from all those negative influences. And I remember myself even telling myself what was strange during those experiences that then was that there, there seemed to be two parts of me. One, which is the one who's experiencing all those things, and one, which is talking to me. But yet both can be talking to each other. So it was telling me not to forget the word because there will be attempts, did not mention by who, to confuse me to distort the word itself and that by and then it would lose its magical power so i was careful and i recited and then ensured that the word conscience i see the words the letters right in front of me i hear it i had to hear it as clear as possible as if someone was speaking to me every syllable perfectly pronounced and I also imagined a pillar, a white pillar, that each time when I recite the word, a pillar of light comes down with a force cementing its position on the ground, like a hammer pounding. Tum, tum. And I would use this rhythm and talk say to myself conscience conscience and as i do it 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 created a shield but the more i do it the more powerful it gets the more the negative influences stop coming in so quickly so i knew that there was something i was doing that was finally correct and i just did it and did it up to a point where i could sense when a certain negativity was about to enter even though there wasn't any images or anything, my body had the natural sensitivity to it and it would mutter, I would, I would, I would recite the, the word conscience to purify my state. Um, so I did this throughout the night, struggling, and I remember, I remember I was fighting internally and I was sweating all over on bed in, in cold sweat. So the next day when I woke up, what was interesting is that when I woke up, there was just an air of peace and tranquility. All my pain the previous day that was the most intense disappeared. And I woke up and I looked around the house. There was no pain in me. I could walk normally. And even better, I felt free, no longer hindered by all those sensations. I could be, I could talk and I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, in the sense, the, the basic functions, I didn't touch my phones, I didn't look at the computer or the TV, just walked around, um, able to hold my consciousness for the entire duration, able to be present to talk to people, where on the days leading up to this, I was at home, I was basically eating and sleeping, eating and sleeping, because sleep is the only thing that keeps my body in a stable state. And while sleeping, of course, I was practically just meditating on my breath to keep myself stable. So when I felt that moment of peace and 
happiness and even I would say compassion. It felt like I could forgive, I could um, be friends with even the greatest enemy. So it was strange because overnight something like that happened. And, I, and as I walked around, I remember talking to my father, I, I noticed something. And I, was, and I also talk, observed my father talking to my mother. I observed something that it felt a little staggered as if my father would talk. And then there was a, a very noticeable period of time like where both of them were completely still, not moving. And then my mom would start talking my, when my father was completely still and my dad would start talking. It was alternating like, almost like switches. One turning on, the other one stopping, the other one turning on, the other one stopping. I never had this experience before of seeing the time lag and the emptiness in between conversations. We normally think that by when I talk when you talk to another person, when you're talking, the other person is um, listening and there's activity going on, things are fluid. But there I saw the blanks in space in time. They were literally inanimate inanimate to me. I couldn't see that they were thinking. Um, or rather, they, they were definitely, I mean, through talking to one another, they were definitely hearing and processing. But what I meant to say was that I observed the inanimate states of people when they were processing information and they were very inanimate. But on the conscious self, the person who is hearing and participating in the discussion, they would think that a lot of things are happening. They would feel it internally, but outside, as still as I could see it. And when I remember talking to my father when he was cooking and I was talking, it was as if I could predict what he was going to say, as if I could even influence what he was going to say. And that as he, because as he was talking to me, I felt another part of me watching all of it. One person talking to my dad and another person behind, seeing all of it happen, witnessing everything, understanding the context, understanding the state of mind, understanding the whole conversation and able to direct it or at least observe what's about to come. To me, all those experiences were a little unusual, but they represent progress from my situation. They represent ability, they represent um, healing. And I knew, and also back then when I was meditating, I remember saying to myself, when I was afraid of dying, as long as I can breathe the next breath, it doesn't matter if my body was going to collapse. If I could force myself to take one breath, I'm alive. And after that one breath, if I could repeat the process to breathe another breath, I would be alive. And that my logic was that as long as I put in all my effort, everything that I had to ensure that I had my next breath, I would survive. And that if I continue doing this, hopefully it comes a point where my body is able to take over. That was a quick flashback. Now, at that time, when I felt all my pain was gone uh, and my, my, my awareness after three months began to open up again, I could feel, um, I felt a very deep sense of peace. I was wondering, in fact, was I actually dead? Because I did not really even feel much of my body. The pain was not there. And yet at the same time, if I touch my hand, I could feel a sensation, but it was as if my mind and my body, uh, my whatever I experience, has completely isolated itself from pain, or that the pain had completely vanished in an unusual way. It's not there anymore. And that was the start of my, my own healing journey. Um, 
and my mind, I started to allow my mind to show me things. One of the things it showed me was that in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., it started showing me visions, a very complete vision of people being surrounded within the walls and a lot of activity going on within the middle. And then there were guards within this wall that would keep the people inside it. And then there would be there would be a, a counter that occasionally would would give money out to people. People would would queue all their way to take some of this money and they would use this money in wherever they're living in within the walls and um, that there was a rule enforced um, rather that all the supplies for basic living it was the only way to obtain them for the people to obtain them was that they needed to exchange it with money but yet at the same time the only way for them to get money was from those guards who controlled the supply it was unusual because imagine i was struggling for for, for my breath and then one of the clearest images or thoughts i had was about this so i didn't know what it was but i had that very strong feeling in me just like how the feeling told me not to forget my word conscience that feeling told me I must document it down, otherwise I would forget. So I woke up 2 a.m. in the middle of the night and started drawing what I saw without knowing what is it. I drew what I saw, I drew the events, the happenings, without knowing what is it, until it's complete, until that whole story, a vision was complete. I stared at it and I understand, understood what it meant. It was showing me it was a concept of similar to the economy. But more than that, it was showing the control structures, how the people inside are literally being controlled. The people within the walls are being controlled and are practically, in a way, slaves within the wall. Their food supply is controlled and um, and then I remember there were also people who were um, given more money so that they can go in within the, the community to create um, um, trade and businesses within. It is somewhat of a negative, uh, now looking back, it is somewhat of a, a negative representation of um, of the economy with an insidious idea behind it. It may not be true, right? However, one of, one of the, the, the words that came to me also was that it was this, if you can conceive, you can achieve. Meaning to say that even though the present is not in such a state, even if the present system was not in such a state or it wasn't intended to be in such a state, it had the potential to be that way. When the proper agents see it and see the, the structure of it and knows how to game it. And perhaps that's even true. Who knows? And then because of this, I realized that there were there were there were hidden um, messages coming to me through these um, visualizations. Um, though that's a very long backstory about my entire health crisis and uh, the healing journey. And uh, but what I wanted to share was that that experience opened me up. Um, to understand more about life, um, about death, about health and healing, 
and about the human potential in, in many regards. And I started to, 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 to see um, and understand things in a different way. Like nowadays, people say knowings. For a person who has not experienced it before, they may not know what it means. But a knowing is when, if I had no prior knowledge of a certain thing, and if I see it for the first time, I could understand it in the totality of it. If I hear it from the first time, I would know everything. I would be able to form all the connections readily accessible in, in, in many dimensions. I would be able to see it. So my state of mind changed and I, and I came to lots of ideas about life and experience which I was not brought up with. And I remember keep share, I kept sharing this with my dad and, and, and most of these things they did not know. Or perhaps they, did not, they knew it subconsciously but did not know it consciously. But I was able to observe it happening and verbalize it and discuss and dissect what was going on in human behavior, in, in thought, in, about emotions. I became very clear about my own emotions because I was able to then sense emotions physically. For example, in the past, if, if you're happy, you just feel happy. And most, most of the time, I wouldn't even see the transition from not happy to happy. By the time I'm happy, I realized I'm already happy. That was how I uh, was when I was young. That was my experience. I would notice I'm happy when I'm already happy, but I wouldn't see the gradual transition. And I wouldn't, and in the happy state, I wouldn't even notice the previous unhappy state. But now I could, I could sense the emotions changing the chemistry in the body. There would be sensations running around at different parts. But what is different is that my mind was so still that it wouldn't be led by my emotions anymore. My mind would see the emotions running across. And because my mind was still, I could make a decision. Did I want that emotion to rise or did I want to subside it? If it was a good and a positive emotion, I could hold it and keep it and channel it there. If it was a negative sensation, I could feel it draining me and I could do the reverse to bring it up. In a way, now looking back, it was a, it was a technique to um, regulate my internal emotions, chemistry or hormones, so to speak. So that was from the time I had my uh, attack, or some people call it breakdown or whatever you wanted to call it, it was definitely to me a life-changing experience, an encounter with death on many levels. And three months on recovery, and <clears throat> from then on, um, I started learning about the world like a baby. I started to observe biases in myself, biases in others, and more importantly, my, my understanding of time, perception of time had changed Um. And my, my thinking became, I became very critical, um, not in the, in the skeptical way of things, but logic and rational, rationalizing things became accessible to me. In the past, what I thought was rational and logical, I then realized it was all trained. Even a simple thing like mathematics, 1 plus 1 equals 2 is a trained, programmed idea. Of course, there are relationships to um, the real physical objects, but then it is just a convention. But in the past, I would think that that's the truth. When then, after recovering, I realized it was an idea. Um, And then I was able to reason things coherently, not allowing biases to seep in, um, 
And even if they seeped in, I could account for it. And I was clear whenever I talked, I was clear about my intentions. And because of that, I wouldn't, the, 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 the topic would not stray off from one topic jumping to another without even realizing it. So I was able to engage in deeper levels of this course and my, my vocabulary, my linguistic um, ability increased so much. I was able to exp express things um, better over time because I wanted to express the truth and I needed a new vocabulary. I needed the precise thing that represented what had happened or what I wanted to say. I was, in a way, in touch with truth and wanted to speak truth. Now, since then, until today, it's been more than four years, and there had been also a lot of things happening, a lot of things that I learned, and there were also times of trouble. Um, but what I what I what I learned during that period which I just shared was that health was the most important. And that as long as I can I have health, I can do anything. But if I work hard and I earn a lot of money but I don't have health, it meant nothing at all. So my idea of work change that it had to be healthy i had to be healthy but if i continued to work the same way i did for the same projects the same work pressures it, it, it wouldn't work out it wouldn't help my health right so i thought i would go back to singapore i would work but i wouldn't work to work i was there for a humane reason I wanted to improve the lives of other people, my colleagues, my superiors, my peers. So in a way, when I re-entered the workforce after an extended break, I became a different person. I, 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 I brought myself to learn and try to become a different person. It, it opened my heart in so many different levels. It got me to do things that I normally wouldn't do um, but still eventually after being immersed in that culture for another two years it took its toll on me um, my health went down my ability to heal or help others went down the voices the inspirations did not come as much as it used to and I felt that I was on the wrong track. If there was a voice telling me, it was telling me I was on the wrong track. And I contrasted myself at that time, back when I was healing, when I was so optimistic, so blissful, that I had a mission to help others. But then after two years, I was there striving up the career ladder. And then I, I projected myself, I thought, if I stay here for another few years and maybe I get promoted, maybe my project is successful, maybe not. But then I would definitely be stuck in there because of so much vested interest, so much time I invested in the projects that once I get up one rung of the career ladder, it would be illogical to break from it, to come down from it, and I would be stuck. That was my that was my projection. And I asked, did I want that? What did it serve? It would just serve my ego. It served my need for acknowledgement, for accomplishment. But more importantly, I, would, I realized that if I allowed myself to stay and be funneled into this experience, this journey, I would lose my ability to be in touch with life and health itself. And that I felt was a gift from my experience that it shouldn't go to waste. If I had let it to waste, I would return to a mere 
regular person who might as well live his life like an like a like everyone else, um, living in a dream. And I didn't want that that awareness, that understanding to fade and and go away. Um, so I thought that I definitely had to quit my job at that time. But to quit my job, I didn't know what else to do, right? Um, there was there was also conflict in me because day in and out for three years, I was struggling on one difficult project. And I remember saying to myself that this is an Einstein level project. What they wanted basically challenges the laws of physics. And even if I were to succeed, maybe, maybe with a small chance after 10 years, what was that for? I would have wasted a lot of my health. Was that worth it? It wasn't. I had my parents waiting for me to go back to take care of them. I had so many people I wanted to, to help when I first returned from my, from my experience. I wanted to pass on my, my knowledge. I wanted to share uh, the things that I learned. All those would not happen. I decided to quit. But at the same time, I didn't know where to find money. I was also afraid of the uncertain. And there were also internal obstacles. My sense of self-worth. And what will I do after that? Come out and run a business? I had no prior experience to it. But then I took the leap of faith and that was what I did. And I embarked on a a two-year journey um, to learn and to immerse myself in things related to health. So when I was observing all the things and why I didn't want to stay in the company, one thing that struck me was that I didn't want, if I stayed long enough, I would be exactly in the same position as those above me. And I didn't like the culture and the way they, they played the game. And plus the environment was, you know, was draining up my health and not only mine, I could see it in my teammates' health. It influenced their life, their happiness, their relationships. We basically became a worker. Life was work. And I saw that environment teaching me something that if, if there was an ideal place to work, the best place to work would be one that was nurturing and supportive to health where the culture understands about health and cares for its employees. And in return, the employees were able to perform at their best. The idea, the first, the the word that came to me, the golden keyword was sustainability. Was that environment sustainable to life? Does it allow life to flourish? Life in the sense of not just functioning of eating and sleeping and uh, eating and, and going to the toilet and chatting and discussing and uh, accomplishing project goals, but rather life in the sense that people enjoyed being present, people had great friendship, real human friendship, um, real meaning, and that the environment nurtures the health that from day one and after a year, they become more healthy and more strong in whatever dimensions in of health you could think of i thought that is the goal the best environment that i need most of all because of my deteriorating health that was when i came up with a plan that i should go around and look for for such places where they take care of their employees And it struck me immediately, who will be the people, where can I find this place and who will be the people who would even be able to conjure, to to create and design such a space? Does it even exist? And then the, the most logical idea that came to me was that people who were concerned with health. 
Is it in the hospitals? No. Hospitals, if you look at it, there is an air of sterility to stave off diseases. Were they concerned about well-being was what I was looking for? No, not, not so much in that sense. It was that sterile environment was meant to kill off diseases and pathogens. But it wasn't to celebrate life, wasn't to bring joy and love, which was the seed of, seed of what I got in order to recover from my condition. So, not the hospitals, not even companies who, who are in the health industry but work in a corporate setting. So I looked, the closest I, I could see was places like the social uh, uh, jobs, like the social workers, where they are in touch with real humans. And, and their job is about supporting real human beings in a more friendly manner. But then I didn't want to lock myself in a job as well. I had a mission to do to spread this awareness and this um, learning and this idea of being as well as the knowledge um, on health and things that my peers whom I was brought up with most of them have not come to realize yet um, so I went on this journey to look for um, places and people and all this time, I learned an important skill that in order to understand the truth, I either had to find the truth myself and debate the logic out of it without any bias to be the seer of truth. Or at the same time, if I could hear truth from what people are saying, if I could dissect and understand if or if I could feel if a person was speaking truth and then if the person was talking about things regarding to health and what they want to do then if I could meet those people I could learn a lot from them so I I went to different places I went to look for teachers gurus um, talks and I, I would sit down there and I would hear what the person say. And I would see if there was any hint that the person was trying to scheme or manipulate or impress and inject messages into the head. Or was that person giving wholeheartedly, trying to influence positively or trying to speak the plain truth. I had that metrics and that sensitivity within me, the alert. Um, and I went... And, I, and it was hard to find people who were honestly sincere. Like, I mean, the level of um, Christ, of selflessness, of really just wanting to share wholeheartedly the truth and help others without any hint of doing it for themselves. There were few people that I encountered with with those, with that kind of feel, feeling to it. I met, I came across a person who had also encountered um, a near-death situation. And today he is vibrant, he has vibrant health. And to me that was the truth. One needn't speak about it or share too much about it. The fact is the real transformation and I, and I see that there's so much to be learned and th th these are the people whom I can speak to about my experience and I, we could learn and I could learn from them. So over the years, meeting different people, I start to see that such people do exist. Um, my experience was not unique. It was unique to me, but it's not unique in the bigger picture. But there's so much to learn from other people in this respect, which most people do not wish to talk about. Um, and I started my real journey into 
um, the healing field. Um, from there, one step at a time, joining a community, learning from them, joining another community, all the while guided by um, chance of fate, some sense of intuition, um, understanding that I had to be available in order for an opportunity to present itself. It is one step behind before seeing an opportunity, is to be available for the opportunity. So I immersed myself and I, I took chances to contribute to people whom I find it meaningful to contribute to. And, and, and today, um, since leaving my job, I've been working uh, on my own uh, business as a consultant uh, for some design work and website. Those are to keep me afloat. But more meaningful to me was that I was able to contribute to um, one of my teachers who's running a yoga school. I was really volunteering time and effort uh, to help them with their uh, marketing. And with my understanding about health and, and all these uh, other aspects, um, I was really able to, to appreciate what he was doing and, and, um, and, and contribute, really. And then there's also another person I met whom I regard as my, my spiritual guide. Um, it was also by chance. I, mean, I came across this person. I attended one of his Qigong classes. And I could sense that sincerity, that understanding of truth, the peace within him, and made contact. And I, I met up with him and I told him that I wanted to be to regain my health. I wanted to be healthy. Um, and with so much generosity, he, 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 he gave me a protocol. And um, fast forward, we are now friends and we're both uh, working together on a herbal, uh, herbal, herbal product line. Um, and on my own, I always had my, my own um, idea about what I wanted to do long term. And that's to share my insights. When I talked about sustainability, I, I wanted something sustainable for myself. And that was a journey of my own life, observing um, and discussing and understanding life as regards to human health relationships that is not commonly taught uh, and commonly observed. I wanted to see those things and learn those things for myself and share it. And so I had since started a blog called MightMinder. Um, and it, it wasn't, it's not to say that um, I have a might, mighty mind or something like that, but what I wanted to create was the feel of might in the sense of ability. Ability, not power as in powerful, but ability and strength. And minder has two meanings to it. One is the person who minds about things in the sense of mindfulness. And minder is in the sense that it is a person, someone who does it. It carries with it a mission to be mindful and to care the mind, to care about things. Um, so that's how I started my blog. And today you're hearing from me the first podcast of MightMinder Talks. Um, what I learned, most importantly, I want to wrap up this, this session, was that through being in contact with all these people and being in the right community, it was very, a very clear difference in my life. It's such a blessing to be part of a community that's caring and supportive, that's authentic, 
genuine human beings that are not out there to influence and manipulate others. And everyone, everyone in the healing and health community were there to celebrate their own health or to find a solution to their own health. You can only find genuine people, most of them genuine people there. And that's where I thought real value can be created when genuine people come together to solve a genuine problem that is the most important problem thing in everyone's life, which is health. And along the way, I, I learned from these elders, the teachers, they showed me things like discipline that I've never seen in others. Enduring discipline, perseverance, dignity, how to carry yourself as an elderly person. As an elderly person, some tend, you know, who have not lived, uh, who have not received love, enough love, they tend to look at the younger generation as a problem and uh, they tend to be more self-centered. But dignity from an elderly, in the sense that they were there to guide you because of because they see themselves as an elder, to teach you without asking for anything in return, without thinking that whomever received it would owe them. Selfless. Um, I learned about new knowledge in yoga, um, and, and most of it was for me to help piece up the entire experience that I had uh, back then. I learned about inner peace and calm when I observed other people who were able to be who they are when in the same situation I would be overly sensitive and, and affected by it. And surprisingly, one of those people is my father. I grew up in that environment, not knowing that I was in such an environment. But after getting out, after escaping my, my own social conditioning and seeing the world for what it is, the negative aspects and the good aspects, but mostly the negative, and being influenced and affected by it. When I see my father or an environment where I was growing up in, then I realized that there was a seed of health within that environment, that culture, that whoever you put in, whether they are conscious about health and sensitive or not, they would flourish. There was that seed within them that I could see that was sustaining to life and celebrative of life. So, as if coming back full circle from where I was born, what I, the inheritance that I got from my, my environment and my family and my upbringing, I lost all of it in order to see the truth of myself to de deconstruct my whole identity, to see the truth, not being able to solve it, and then seeing the solution which was where I was brought up in. But the only difference is that this time, I kept it with me. What were the seeds? I didn't let, I didn't choose to leave it like just a happy experience and ah, oh, good to be home and that's it. But I, I, I dissected the thing that was contributing to health because I wanted to design it for myself. And keeping it with me now, seeing it and keeping it and appreciating it with me now, that gave me inner peace. And that wherever I go, I had defenses, I had ways to avoid negative influences. And I also knew what I needed to keep inside me to have my own inner peace. And I, it's not that I am someone who is more peaceful than everyone else. There are many people out there who have so much inner peace in them that they, did, they do not know about it. Much more than me, the common man on the street, uh, the common person who's living 
a decent life. Uh, people who have families, they may not be rich, but they have families and they have children and kids running about spontaneously. The celebration of life without being suppressed or constrained or socialized in a particular way. That was the inner joy and peace that I could see in them. I am not more peaceful, but I could see the elements because I've gone through losing it and regaining it. And I would like to protect it either through design or through spreading awareness. So that is how um, to wrap up that whole story of where I started to where I am in between uh, here. There were many, many other aspects that were left out uh, because there isn't enough time to share one's whole life story. But it was a meaningful journey and I don't regret it. And I find it um, so much more meaningful doing what I'm doing now. And so that wraps up the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, um, this is my first attempt at doing a podcast. Um, I hope maybe you learn a thing or two. Um, and I, I look forward to, to bring more of these uh, topics and insights in subsequent episodes. I will be talking more in-depth about concepts, things like consciousness and spirituality, healing. Um, yeah. So I wish you the best of health and uh, the best of what life can offer to you. This is Jen here at Mindminder Talks episode one. I'll see you. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.